My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to the final episode of Season 2. It feels like the season's gone by very quickly, but at the same time, we've also come a long way since Tina Roth-Eisenberg got us started in Episode 1. Thank you to all of you who have contacted me to say how much you're enjoying the show and finding the ideas and the interviews useful. It's really important to me that I create a show that makes a difference in your life. So... I'm very encouraged. Each time I receive an email or a tweet or a message via the show's feedback form. I'm pleased to report that the recording of season three is now well underway. So look out for that towards the end of 2018 and make sure you're subscribed in iTunes or that you're on the 21st Century Creative mailing list so that you're first to know when the new season starts. In the meanwhile, if you go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm, you will find the archive of the first two seasons. So if you haven't yet heard all those episodes, do go back and give them a try. As I've said before, I always focus on the fundamental human and creative factors in every interview. So you may well find inspiration and food for thought in the story of someone who's working in a very different creative field to your own. While you're at 21stCenturyCreative.fm, you're very welcome to drop me a message to let me know what you liked about the show, any suggestions for improving it, and particularly any topics or challenges that you would like me to cover in future episodes of the show. And if you are enjoying the show, I would really appreciate it if you would take a few moments to pop along to iTunes and leave a review. I know it seems like a little thing that might not make much difference, especially as there are already, I'm pleased to say, plenty of five-star reviews for the show on iTunes. But as I understand it, the number of reviews and the ratings are certainly taken into account by iTunes when it comes to promoting podcasts on their platform. So if you leave a review, then it will help me, and it will also help other creatives like you to discover the show. And although the podcast is now going to take a break for a few weeks, my coaching business will still be open. So if you are an experienced creative and you're interested in getting my help one-to-one, you can go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching. Okay, for our final interview of the season, I spoke to Patricia van den Acker, a friend and colleague of mine who runs the Design Trust in London. This is an organisation that helps designer makers to create businesses they are proud of. So this one will be of particular interest if you run a small creative business yourself, or if you're simply inspired by stories of how traditional crafts are flourishing in the 21st century, thanks to a canny combination of artisanal skills and digital marketing. And before that, I thought it would be nice to end the season with a few words about a high-level problem, the kind that is a nice problem to have, but which still requires a solution. 
Today, I want to tell you about five ways to deal with praise. As a creative professional, I'm sure you know what it's like to deal with the criticism that comes your way. But what about the praise? You probably haven't given so much thought to handling praise, apart from maybe wishing it happened a bit more often. It probably feels great when you're showered with praise, but it comes with hidden pitfalls and also hidden opportunities. So here are five ways you could deal with praise and why some are better than others. Number one is connection. This is the purest response, that instant rush of emotion you experience when you're praised. This feeling tells you your work connected with someone, or even lots of people, and they loved it. They felt inspired, excited, or deeply moved in some other way, enough that they wanted to tell you. And in that moment, it feels wonderful. The simple fact that your work had that effect on someone is reward enough. According to some theories of creativity, we can't even consider a piece of work creative unless it has reached and connected with an audience of some kind. In the extreme version, I've seen it argued that Vincent van Gogh wasn't actually creative until several decades after his death, because it was only then that his work found an appreciative audience. Now, I wouldn't go that far with the argument, but I can definitely relate to the idea that a creative work isn't complete until it connects with someone else, even if that's only one person. If someone emails me to tell me my poem touched them or my podcast inspired them, I have a sense of completion, of a job well done. Number two is dismissing the praise. We're really good at this one here in the UK. It feels embarrassing and awkward to be in the spotlight, being showered with praise. So we make a joke, or we change the subject, or we say, oh, it was nothing really. Then we run away and hide and treasure the compliment in secret. Which isn't really very nice to the person who praised us in the first place. So at the very least, I think we should accept the praise with good grace and thank the person, whether or not we agree with their judgment. You may have heard the saying, never interrupt when someone is paying you a compliment. Number three on the list is validation. And this one is the most dangerous, so watch out for it. It starts as artistic validation. This means you aren't convinced of the value of your work until someone else tells you it's good. Whether a critic, a reviewer, a judge on an awards panel, or whoever. So when you receive this kind of praise, you can relax, your confidence is boosted. But if you don't get enough of it, or even worse, if people start to criticise you, then your confidence evaporates and your work grinds to a halt. Maybe we all start from this place of external validation. When a teacher or mentor first says to us, you know, your work is really good, you can do this. But it's important to move beyond this point. Firstly, because as Stephen Pressfield points out, if you're a professional, you need to become the best judge of your own work. Because having a sense of how good your work is, is essential to making it better. As soon as we give that power to someone else, we open the door to resistance. And also because it's a short step from artistic validation to personal validation. 
If you fall into this trap, then not only the quality of your work, but also your worth as a person depends on the judgment of someone else. Whether it's an editor, a professional critic, an Amazon reviewer, or an internet troll. Which isn't a great place to be. Now, the fourth main way you can deal with praise is by treating it as feedback. And this is the one that is most useful creatively. When someone whose opinion you respect enthuses about a piece of work, that's a great clue that you were in the creative zone when you did it. So pay attention to their praise, just as I'm sure you do to their judicious criticism. And make sure this is someone who really knows what they're talking about. Some people will gush with praise whatever you do, or will want you to stay in your comfort zone, repeating past successes. The truly discerning critics are the ones who praise you for your best work, which may well feel risky or look inferior to other people. So when you find a critic like this, pay very close attention to what they say. Last but not least on our list is recognition of the value of your work. And when it comes to public praise, this one is the most useful professionally. Because an award or an endorsement from a famous person in your field, or a great review in a leading journal, or hundreds of five-star customer reviews, can enhance the public perception of the value of your work. In other words, it's good for your brand. And a powerful brand acts as a powerful magnet for opportunities. You're not being an egomaniac if you quote an endorsement or review or mention your awards on on your website or the back of your book. You're being professional. Just don't go over the top. Retweeting someone's praise of you every other day or making your Oscar the first thing you mention when you meet someone starts to look needy and, and a bit awkward. So, next time you're on the receiving end of a nice compliment, a good review, a torrent of gushing praise, or a standing ovation, run through the list of five ways to deal with praise. Firstly, enjoy the feeling of connection. Next, watch out for the temptation to dismiss it or to use it as validation. Then, ask yourself whether it can be useful to you either as feedback for your creative process or as public recognition of your achievements. One of the themes I keep returning to in this podcast is the idea that the times we're living in are a two-edged sword. On the one hand... We're living in an age of unprecedented creative stimulation via the internet, social media, accelerating technology and an always-on working culture. And on the other hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented distraction from focused creative work, from all the same sources. And the biggest concern for many creatives is a nagging sense that their most important work is being left undone. If you're excited by the opportunities of the creative age, but worried about the effect of all those digital distractions on your creativity, then I've written a book for you. Productivity for Creative People. It's a short, practical guide 
to getting creative work done in the 21st century, based on my own experience as a writer, creative entrepreneur, and father. All the ideas in the book have been road-tested in my coaching practice with creative professionals like you. So, if you want to create extraordinary work without necessarily disappearing to a cabin in the woods or even giving up your smartphone, check out Productivity for Creative People at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. That's 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. Patricia van den Acker is the director of the Design Trust, an organisation based in London with a mission to help designer makers create a business they are proud of. She's also the author of Dream, Plan, Do, an annual planner journal to help creative entrepreneurs reflect, plan and take action throughout the year. If you recall from season one, One of the themes of the 21st century creative is something old, something new. And Patricia is a fantastic example of this. Many of the creatives she helps are living in remote areas using traditional craft skills that go back generations. And they are often working in super specialised niches. Patricia helps them thrive by reinventing their business model and their marketing so that they can reach their customers wherever they are in the world. I've known Patricia for years and worked with her several times, running workshops and speaking at her events. It's always fun to go to a Design Trust event because you're guaranteed to find yourself in a room full of talented and enthusiastic people who spend their lives creating all kinds of beautiful and useful things. In this interview, Patricia gives us the benefit of her experience of working with hundreds of creatives, with insights into what it really takes to succeed in a small creative business. She also has a lot of interesting things to say about the intersection of artistic tradition and our modern connected society. If you run a creative business of any kind, you'll find plenty of practical inspiration in this conversation. And if you see yourself as good at your creative work, but clueless at business, I recommend you listen right to the end, where Patricia points out how your artistic skills could actually be the key to unlocking your success as a creative entrepreneur. So, Patricia, what drew you to the field of design and and making in the first place? Um, My mom had a gift shop in the Netherlands when I was growing up. So from a very early age, I was surrounded by beautiful things. She started it as a gallery, a craft gallery. And uh, we're very much talking 1970s here. So think very much brown pottery and heavy glass and things like that. But then basically when I was in my teens and you had to look for like, what are you going to be when you're grown up? Um, I I was either going to play uh, the recorder and go to conservatorium. And I realized very quickly that that wasn't really a path that 
um, would fulfill me, I think, a longer term. The other option was indeed to uh, do graphic design. I loved art. And um, my dad was quite clever and he sent me for um, two or three weeks to do a work placement in, in Belgium, just over the border. I grew up in Holland, in the south of Holland. And um, I spent a bit of time there and I absolutely loved it. And so I studied graphic design in Belgium. And although I've never worked as a proper graphic designer, so to speak, I've spent quite a bit um, of time in, uh, in studios. And indeed, I married a graphic designer. Um, I, I found the idea of like visualizing and coming up and, and solving problems very, very interesting. So I need like really understanding where the client was coming from and then visualizing that in a certain way, communicating with people in a certain way. That was what really attracted me. And after I studied graphic design, I was very lucky um, because basically we didn't spend a lot of money. Um, there wasn't, yeah, I had a grant basically to study in Belgium as well. Um, I did then arts management in Holland and I worked there very much because I was very interested in um, indeed exhibiting. And especially then already I got a great interest in crafts. Um, and then indeed, like I, um, I really focused uh, doing my studies and doing my work placements then in, in really working with designer makers and showing their work in the best possible way. Originally, very much as part of exhibitions and uh, craft fairs and shows like that. And, and that is basically what I've been doing in the last 25 years, working with creatives, especially designers and makers in, in showing their work in the best possible way. I'm now a creative business advisor, trainer and coach. And although that might seem a big leap for me being a graphic designer, I think the essence is still very much the same. It's about really identifying uh, what makes people take, what makes people present themselves in the best possible way, really understanding their business, their business model, and then how they can present that in the best possible way to their audience and their clients. And just so that we're all clear, could you just say a little bit about what you mean by designer makers? So designer makers are basically uh, people who do creative products. So it is basically craftspeople. But um, indeed, like what we're talking about here is this both looking at um, the craft skills involved. So I'm very much talking about people who do uh, jewelry, ceramics, for example, wood, glass, um, things like that. But there is a design element. So it's not just about having the good skills. It's also having basically a good idea and a functional idea. So it's that combination of both the craft skills. It's not about um, copying uh, what people do, which very often uh, happens a bit more in the, in the field of handmade. But indeed, it is people with an idea, uh, but also with the right and the good craft skills to go with it. Right. And having attended a few of your events as a, a guest speaker, I can really attest to you. Patricia has a fabulous range of people doing all kinds of weird and wonderful mm. <laughs> and beautiful creations. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to to concentrate on the topic sometimes when you're you're looking at examples of of what people do mm. and it's really inspiring mm. to see the kind of work that people are doing combining those traditional skills mm. and you know the the digital and communication tools that we have now mm. but more about that anon maybe you could talk a little bit about what the design trust is as an organization and what its purpose is 
Uh, the design twist was set up 32 years ago um, by a lady called Peter Levi. She was a journalist in, in Britain and um, she was indeed um, like very interested in design and crafts, but realized that a lot of people were not making any money with it. So what she did um, was indeed set up um, a, uh, an organization that very much supported um, uh, designer makers in, in the UK in particular. Um, I took over the organization in 2011. Um, it had been always a funded organization, uh, but and, and then it had gone indeed to um, a, one of the universities here and had been a part project there. When I took it on, I realized that um, there was very little funding available in 2011 for projects like this. So I knew that the business model of the organization had to change quite a lot. So I turned it a lot more into an online business school for designers and makers in particular. And uh, now, indeed, we've got a wide range of people um, from across the world. Most of them are in the UK, but I get a lot of people indeed from America, Australia, New Zealand, across Europe, um, who are coming to join me. And so it's, it's basically partly a uh, membership organization where people get uh, access to a wide range of webinars, podcasts, and things like that. Um, and partly, indeed, it is an online business school where we do one topic in a day or maybe do a four-week course or anything like that. And it's all related to creative business development. So it goes from looking at business models, pricing, positioning, marketing, social media, but very specifically for people within this field. So you see a lot of different creatives come through the doors or the virtual mm -hmm. doors of your school. Mm. And I know that you're very much in, in touch with the new trends and as well as the traditional craft skills mm. within the designer maker community. So I think you're in a good position to say, help us look at the big picture. Mm. And what do you see as some of the big opportunities as well as the challenges at this point in the 21st century for designer makers? Mm. It's it's an interesting time. I, I really think, of course, we live in very interesting times. <laughs> and, um, and, and of course, there's positives and, and negatives here. Um, but indeed, like, what I see is that in certain ways, I think creatives are a bit like the canaries in the mine in certain ways. And I think like there are certain issues in the moment that I'm coming across where I do find that people are um, worried. Yeah, that's indeed like there are big challenges for us, political, economically, social. Um, mm -hmm. But also, I, I do think, of course, like when we're looking at selling online if we're looking at the opportunities of a need like traveling yeah the the cost of travel have come down dramatically um that we have the opportunity yes yeah, some of my clients live three six months of the year in india um yeah and are working from there i think that's absolutely amazing i do a lot of work in scotland for example where people are sometimes very very remote and still can run creative businesses financially very very successful in many ways especially because they are remote so it's i think that is that is very very interesting and especially i think with craftspeople um they they are really looking sometimes for that slower pace and so what i think is very interesting is like they they go and can now be more extreme. It can be more of a lifestyle. 20 years ago, a lot of the people that I worked with 
couldn't run their business in, in the way that I can now because they very often have such niche products that only a very small yeah. amount of people might be interested in, to be honest with you. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with a uh, fourth generation knife making um, knife maker in Scotland, for example. Yeah. And it's absolutely amazing. And he creates knives um, by hands, yeah, and they cost five, six hundred pounds, and they're being snatched up by some of the biggest chefs here in right. the UK, yeah. And I think right. it's, it, it's, it's, and the stories that uh, my people can tell is, is absolutely amazing. And what I love, it's about, yeah, that connection as a maker, because it's very domestic. It's not stuff that ends up in, in, um, in museums. It's actually people have this and use this every day but also of course as a maker people are very aware that maybe in 200 300 years time their products are still around and i think that's to me that is really really fascinating it's not just about what you do now but indeed like people for a very long time might actually really enjoy their products and and then looking back at the history the culture um and where you're from i think that is for makers very, very interesting. And of course, that's as part of a social media story, blogging, email, uh, yeah, like uh, Twitter, Instagram. It's very, very fascinating times. Um, on the other side also, indeed, like I think there's a bigger interest in the handmade. In, in, indeed, like people will have that connection a lot more because we are all going very fast actually seeking out uh, Wi-Fi free zones, so to speak, is is a luxury these days. Yeah. And I think, yeah. again, like some of my clients very much live that lifestyle that, yeah, other people are very jealous about. Um, so it's very interesting to look at things like that. Production, uh, manufacturing, of course, outsourcing certain things, but also need being able to send stuff to the other side of the world and communicated with people on the other side of the world very easily, which was just not possible like 15, 20 years ago, I think is fascinating. But at the same time, because we're all looking at that really big picture, actually looking where we come from and what is happening locally and being proud of where you come from um, becomes actually more powerful because we're all yeah doing this big yeah. kind of uh, world stuff actually looking at what is happening locally uh, starts to make a lot more sense, I think. And, and that, to me, is very interesting. Right. I mean, for a long time, the story about the modern age has been, you know, industrialization, globalization, mm. everything's becoming more the same. Mm. And traditional skills are being lost. And, mm. you know, say traditional craft industries have been under threat but what mm. you're describing now is it's almost it's coming full circle mm. Mm. and the technology is enabling us to rediscover the value mm. of these things mm. and for say you know that fourth generation knife maker mm. maybe you know the, the eighth generation is much more secure now yeah yeah no in many ways and i think this more appreciation like i trained as a graphic designer and i find it interesting that indeed the love of paper the love of letterpress and going back to some of the very traditional techniques there's a lot of graphic designers who are very geeky about letterpress for example and really looking back at some mm. of those old techniques and then actually combining them and i think that is where real 
interesting work comes from. If you if you know the rules, if you know your history, then you can break it. Yeah, but you, you need to yeah. know you some of those rules and actually beautifully produced books and sniffing the print, so to speak. Yeah, like I love an ebook. Yeah, just like everybody else. It's very handy. But I'm really... Uh, looking forward, yeah, with certain books in very small, uh, yeah, quantities, with, yeah. Who, are, who have been produced with a lot of love, and I, then being bought on Kickstarter, I think that's that is fascinating. What is about like really traditional stuff, but then presented in a way that just is a bit different. I think that's that's fascinating. Yeah, similar to you, I think whatever the art form or whatever the creative field, there's a rich tradition. Mm. And if we don't have our roots in that, then we lose something really important. Mm, mm, mm. But also, I think making, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of research now being done about the importance of making and and how important it is for, yeah, our minds and, and mindfulness, yeah. There's a, there's a lot happening in the moment, for example, here in the UK, um, where, for example, throwing pots is now starting to become a really really important hobby for a lot of people it's like yeah like it's nearly getting being like the new yoga so to speak right, yeah right. and i think that's again really interesting and people becoming more interested in in how products are being made and where they come from um i think that's that there's a lot more interested in that than it used to be and it is probably because certain things are on the way out that we start to actually appreciate what we might potentially lose with it mm. and a more tactile experience mm. as well if you're actually getting literally getting your hands dirty yeah yeah it's so refreshing after being yeah. glued to the screen absolutely and i think that's again like it's very interesting the 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 yeah, knitting, for example, or any like, yeah, making pots or embroidery or things like that. It's actually really important for people. And again, it really expresses themselves. It expresses their society, their culture. And, you know, we were talking earlier about this, I, that you were saying a lot of craft business, a lot of designer maker businesses, they're tied into a, a, a more organic, slower concept of growth mm. than maybe we're used to in the you know, the startup world where speed is everything. Mm, mm. It's it's interesting because um, I live in North London. Um, Hoxton, which is a couple of miles away, is like really the, the big place in, in London mm. for a lot of those startup businesses. And it's really interesting because if I look at the startup scene, um, and, and very often when those words are being used, it's it's such a very small <laughs> part of, yeah, like other businesses within the creative sector that are actually setting up and seems that they've really hugged that place. For me, what is really interesting, a lot of my clients, um, they're probably closer to nature. Maybe also the reality is that I work with a lot of women. And, and so they are looking for a slower, more organic growth. For them, it's really important to stay in control in a way. They're very worried to become yeah, too popular or too big or things like that. But they they go a lot more with the flow, I would say. And they would really look a lot more at sustainability in the longer term, not just in terms of financial sustainability, but also in terms of indeed their time, how they spend their time, how much does it connect with their values. It, it's it's broader. It's a lot of my clients are kind of indeed on a mission, yeah. And there's something bigger that they're creating than than just products, so to speak. They're really connecting with something bigger there. I think this is such an important point about sustainability because, well, I've certainly had periods of my life where I was doing stuff that just wasn't sustainable yeah. either because. Mm. 
I was working too hard or mm. I was doing stuff that I didn't in my heart mm. of hearts really feel aligned with. Mm. And some people will say, well, it's a luxury to be following your heart and it's indulgent. But actually mm. in a creative business, I think it's it's in- essential for sustainability because mm. you cannot keep doing this and mm. at a high level if you're not aligned with your, your mission, your, mm. your sense of values. Mm. Mm. I think it is it is a combination of of your passion, uh, but just passion won't get you there either. Yeah, oh, so no. it is that combination of. <laughs> I yeah. discovered that too. <laughs> yeah. like, but it is. It, it, I do think it's about like your heart. It's about indeed like your 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 profile. Yeah, um, being known or being recognised for something, getting applause. Yeah, or getting recognition. It's it's about like indeed loving what you do. And but with what I mean with loving, it's not just the art itself but also like are you dealing with people that you enjoy working with yeah like a lot of my clients for example that market is very often the luxury market but if you don't like rich people how are you going to sell to rich people you need to love rich people to be able Mm -hmm. to sell to them yeah so it's like looking at things like that also it's about being independent for a lot of makers and it's about that that something bigger like for me in the teaching um, and, and sharing my skills and seeing people um, thrive and fly after having had a couple of conversations, that's, that is really interesting to me and that's really important. And I think, again, like for creatives, it is that combination. If you're just doing it for your passion, mm, that very quickly ends up, I think, in a hobby. Um, and there's a huge difference between running something as a hobby or running something as a business. Yeah, you do need to do things that you might not like if it is your business, if you want to make a living with it. Um, and also you have to have certain standards, I think, in professionalism that as a hobby, I think it's really important to have a hobby. Don't get me wrong on that. Yeah, but like don't necessarily make it a business because you need to put a lot of different hats on. If you want to be a successful entrepreneur or if you want to make it a living for you. And and again, that's back to the sustainability. You need to have those different things. You see, this is one line I really love on your website. As you say, you want to help creatives create a business that they're proud of. Mm. And it's very easy, I think, for us as creatives to identify with the creative work, Mm. whether it's artistic or craft or or whatever, and be proud of that. But can you say a little more about the importance of being proud of your business? Mm. For for me, it's like what I'm interested in is actually creating a creative business. And like, yes, like, of course, your output of a creative product or creative service, that's, that's normally sorted. But for me, like the biggest project biggest creative project is actually creating your business and that is something I'm very interested in again like uh, today what we can do with that is far more interesting than 20 years ago when I started in this field yeah it was basically about having a postcard and maybe having a poster with your work and that was the marketing you would go to certain galleries that was it now actually really looking at what is your business model where do you position yourself how do you communicate with your clients who are your clients and actually yeah for example i have clients who only work with retailers or who only do commissions and i think that's really interesting again looking like who are you as a person what do you like what works for you what works for your clients and from that bands from that relationship between you and your clients an interesting business model can come up that works actually far better than what we used to do by default 20 years ago. 
Right. And I'm thinking back to what you said right at the beginning of this conversation, that what drew you to design in the first place was the problem solving. Mm. Would you say that at the core, the design thinking and business innovation, that it's the same skill at the core or, or there's a lot of similarities? There's a lot of similarities. Like I, I, I wrote a book last year and somebody says like, oh, wow, you're really a design thinker. And I wasn't actually <laughs> that aware of some <laughs> of the design thinking. And then I, I discovered, yeah, D-School and things like that at Stanford. And it's like, wow, yes, that's what I've been doing. It's about visualizing a lot of, yeah, the challenges. Yeah, it's like looking at brainstorming. It's about prototyping your business. I love that as an idea. Yeah, fail fast. Yeah, and I think, again, really interesting with a lot of makers. They, they, they are hoarders. Yeah, they're holding on to stuff very often for a bit too long and actually then throwing things at them and say, like, prototype your business um, scares them a bit. Yeah. But again, I think that's that's really for me. I wasn't aware of the design thinking, but indeed, like it's it's having increasingly an, an, an interesting change and and looking at how um, uh, we develop um, our thinking through visualization uh, techniques and also indeed like how, how you map things out. I think very, very interesting in how creatives think differently and how we then can solve indeed like our own challenges with our products, our businesses, but also broader uh, challenges within society, for example. I think that's very interesting and starting to look a lot more at who your clients are and, 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 yeah, the empathy of ha having that connection with the clients, I think that's a really important element. And, you know, for instance, prototyping, I mean, presumably that's a skill the designer maker will have already and they exactly. will use it almost without thinking. Yeah, yeah. And yet, so what you're saying is you, you say to them, well, just use that on your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, yeah, like, because it, it makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and try stuff out and like see it as an experiment instead of a failure. And I think that is... Yeah, a lot more fun instead of, yeah, um, I'm not the kind of person who says, like, you need to write a 50-page business plan. I know it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, times have moved on and it just doesn't work. You need to have some ideas of where you want to go. I'm, I'm absolutely a fan of, of the act of planning, but it might not happen in the way um, and you need to be a lot faster on your feet with that. But indeed, like, it's, it makes so much sense. And I think, again, for me, it's, it's about kind of like how you use your, your existing skills. And that's actually for me, creativity and business are a lot closer than people very often think. Um, I don't believe it's like you're either creative or you are like business entrepreneur. You need to be both. And they actually have got so much more in common than people think. And once people start to realize that, it goes like, oh. And it yeah. really opens up a lot more doors for them. Yeah, because when that when you when you take down that barrier in your mind, and I, I, mm. I've seen this with loads of creators, and I know mm. you have, mm. that suddenly it opens up mm. your superpowers, your creativity, mm. and you can start, as long as once you stop seeing the creative stuff as just the artistic yeah. inverted commas stuff, mm. and the business stuff is this thing that the grown ups do. Mm. Mm. When you realise that actually you're you're a lot better at a lot of the core business mm. skills than a lot of people from a more traditional business background. I've seen it, it's a huge mm. boost of confidence. And also it's a lot of fun when you realize, oh, my business is a creative project. Yeah. I yeah. can play with that. I yeah. can 
prototype that and, and develop that. And it becomes rewarding to, to make that as well. Exactly. And like I do this, this marketing course and like a lot of creatives don't like marketing. But the thing is, um, yeah, they, they very often think about the scary selling bit, yeah, or like the nasty yeah. bits of that. They also, indeed, like uh, very often didn't get any marketing when they did art school. So it's not surprising that they don't like that. And a lot of them are also a bit shy, maybe a bit introvert. So really stay away from anything to do with marketing. But then if I teach them and, and you don't need to show them that much and you actually talk about practical marketing and you show them how creative that can be and like when you're looking at branding and really letting you shine through a lot more on your website on your social media and really focusing on your talents then people start to see how creative that is and then it's not a burden anymore it's part of that entire process it's from getting to know your clients really early on because that is marketing and the more you know about your clients the more you can create products that people love to buy and then basically if they pay you money that is just yeah the compliment because indeed it is the money that will say like yeah people really love it and and I think once people start to see that it becomes a lot more interesting and a lot more um energized in a way and a lot more true I think and uh, yeah. that's that's where um, it's fun. <laughs> right. And I love the, when you use the phrase, let you shine through. Mm. Because again, once you collapse that distinction, mm. you don't necessarily have to think, well, I can be myself in my studio, but in a, in, in a business context, I need to put on a mask, pretend yeah. to be professional with some idea of what that might be from say yeah. the 80s or the 90s. But yeah. these days, if people are buying from a creator, then they want to they want to meet the artist. They want the you. <laughs> yeah. So you get to be yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I very often, when I do marketing with people, I say like, okay, really focus on who you are and, and really look at, at, yeah, some of the bits where there is the conflict or where, yeah, where you raise the questions. What makes you you? And if you can show that through stories on your website, through images, through little films sometimes. I see beautiful films done by makers, for example, that really talk about their love of their, their product, their history. Um, that's gorgeous. And that is what people are buying because they're not buying necessarily a product. They're buying into that experience, that tactile experience, but also about I, I own something that was specially made or that somebody put a lot of care in. And, and I know this person a little bit. And, and that is what people are buying. They're not buying your product. They're buying that experience and expressing because of that them, themselves a bit more. And I think that is, that's really human. <laughs> and that's, that's what I'm really trying to explain to people. Like it's not about some nasty stuff you're selling. It's, it's really deeply um, enshrined in us as, as being a human person. Yeah. I mean, I'm just putting in mind, I was up in Orkney recently for a course and mm. I bought a shawl for my wife mm. to take back. Mm. And it was so nice when I spoke to the lady in the shop and she said, oh, I'm glad you picked that one. My mother made it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my aunt, and, you know, they've yeah. been doing this for generations. And suddenly I not only had a beautiful gift, but mm. I had the story of Absolutely. the gift to Absolutely. go back mm. with. Mm. And, you know, it was really nice that there was a, a piece of, of, of or Orcadian heritage. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. That I could take back. 
Yeah, and it's that, and that is back to, yeah, the tradition, the domesticity, and it's something like, I, I have a neat scarf from Scotland, I travel a lot to Scotland, and they keep you warm, but it is also the memories, and it's it's that connection with something deeper, I think that's what people are creating, that's what people are buying. Okay, and I know that you're also interested in the idea of seasonal cycles, mm, mm. and how that can relate to the cycles of business. Maybe you could say something about that. Mm. A lot of craft businesses in particular are very seasonal. So indeed, like woolen scarves, yeah, let's be honest, uh, that doesn't mm-hmm. sell very well in July. <laughs> yeah, like, um, so indeed, a lot of my businesses are very seasonal. A lot of them, 60, 70% of their turnover comes from the last 10 weeks of the year because of Christmas. Um, and because of that, you 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 have to sort of go with that seasonal flow. Yeah. If, if you get really frustrated about marketing in the middle of July, I'm not surprised. Like maybe, yeah, don't push too much in July because the reality is, yeah, a lot of people have got very other ideas of where they're going to spend their money. So it, it's really looking at when are people most likely to buy. Yeah. And, and this is very much connected on like, why do they buy at certain times of the year and connect again with that? So indeed, like what I find interesting is, is throughout the year, there are very clear periods of, yeah, when it's going to be busier in terms of uh, marketing and selling. That also means that there are certain times of the year when you can create more or when you can take time off to go on holiday. I'm a big believer, a bit like, um, Indeed, like the, the seasons when you when you're gardening, yeah, it's winter is actually really important for a gardener. Yeah, it's about getting the the earth ready. Um, it's about planning when you're sowing and stuff like that. And actually, also back to sustainability in certain ways. Actually, having quiet periods is normal. And it's part of life and it's part of business. So I think that's really important. And then, of course, looking throughout a person's career, what you're doing uh, in, in year one, in year three, in year five, for example. I, I see very clear periods uh, when there's quite a lot of turmoil for people. Very often at year three of their business, it's a bit like, oh, is this worth it? Yeah, very often people give up at year three. Very often people give up at year seven, I think. Very interesting. Once people have gone for 10 years, <laughs> they keep at it somehow, I think. <laughs> then they never give up. That's that's the other thing to think about. But again, I think really interesting also because I, I'm dealing with people at very different ages. What you want in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s is very different as a as a creative and as a maker so i think it's i find how the time goes through it and looking at those seasons and actually seeing quiet periods as very fertile periods and not necessarily as a bleak dark winter um can be very useful and, and go with that flow think about when your clients are more likely to buy and and fit in with that because then your efforts like a gardener, yeah, if you're planting in, in December, nothing is going to happen. If you plant that in March, uh, wonders happen. It's exactly the same for me in business. Go with nature. Right. And that is so important because coming back to sustainability, mm. we know you, you can't just be full on creative mm. production yeah. all the time. You know, yeah. your creativity has cycles and seasons. Yeah. So yeah. if you know when your effort is going to be most 
effective and you put mm. it in then then it's actually really nice to be able to, to have some proper time off because yeah. i know yeah. a lot of self-employed people and i i used to be the worst at this they're, <laughs> they're really bad at this we work all the time but it's it's not sustainable no and having time off having time to reflect a lot of my clients are maybe slower thinkers and i mean that really in the best possible way yeah. you need to reflect you need to th mull things over so don't push it because yeah, that is the quickest way to becoming uncreative and not taking risk, actually taking time out and proper time out. Yeah. Like, and, and in a way you need like unplug, I think, and, and you need like stop chatting to yourself. I think like that's, that's a true yeah. holiday, isn't it? Because uh, yeah. that is really important. It's not just going on a holiday. If you're still thinking and still emailing, mm, you might need to think about that. What does it take for you to really unplug? Um, to really get back to who you are, I think. Okay, so we've looked at a lot of the opportunities and the challenges mm. in the the business landscape for creatives at the moment. Mm. And the other thing I'm really interested, Patricia, is getting your view, because again, you, you see a lot of creative people mm -hmm. and you see up close what works and what doesn't. Mm. What are some of the biggest differences you've noticed between the ones who really thrive and succeed mm. and the ones who keep struggling mm. i did some research um around that last year um around success and and what people um what creative people call success um which was really interesting because again like is this about money is this about yeah profile a bit back to mm -hmm. what we were talking about earlier increasingly what i see it's 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 around attitude, I would say. And it's it's like, can I see a sparkle in your eyes? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sometimes like that. That to me is the biggest determinator if somebody is going to be successful, yes or no. It's a combination of listening to advice. At the same time, it's about having your own um, approach, having your own vision. Yeah, because of course we don't want more copycats. It it's about like you need like for me it's about a dance. Yeah, like and sometimes you need to lead, sometimes you need to follow, but you need to listen to your clients. Also for me, it's very interesting. People who set goals are, I think, a lot more um, successful. And what I mean with that, like. Quite a lot of my clients are very happy creating and producing. That's what you love. Yeah, that's what you do. That's what you know. But it can get a bit cozy. It can get a bit too much comfort. Um, I very often share this idea of like, yeah, you're like a little boat in the middle of the ocean and you're very happy there. Yeah. And like it's going all really absolutely fine. But the thing is that you're really depending on uh, yeah, the waves and uh, the sea and things like that if you're going anywhere. People will set goals and even if they um, might get it awfully wrong, yeah, because very often, yeah, we do and uh, stuff yeah. doesn't happen in the way that we want to. But I find that people will really have a very clear vision of the kind of people they want to work with, the kind of business they want to create. And I mean in that, indeed, like the, the broader things, the kind of projects they want to work on. And I don't mean fantasizing, yeah? You do need to have an element of realism, but people will have a very clear vision of what that future in five or 10 years looks like and then put the hard work in to get there. Those are the ones I feel are 
um, succeeding. It's people who are being proactive. If you're hoping that somebody's going to discover you, if you're hoping that, yeah, like you're being found like in the, like the fairy tales, that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, but a lot of people... Uh, Thing that they, yeah, they worry then about uh, being too uh, um, out there. I think you need to be proactive, really know where you want to be, where your place in the world is, so to speak, where's the gap in the market for what you do, and actually working on that. I also believe that if you've got a niche, it really works far better. Yeah, don't compete with what is already out there, really identify your talents and who your dream clients are. And, and I, I'm a big believer in, in niche businesses really going in, in, um, in detail there and, and really connecting with your audience. You don't need to see the whole world as your, your client base. It's really, yeah, looking at 50 or 100 people. If you connect with them properly, yeah, that can be the start of a great creative business, I think. Um, and then the other thing, I think, it's, it's about... Don't give up. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of people uh, try a bit of this, try a bit of that, and don't stick at it long enough or don't look at it as in um, learning from their mistakes. If there's one thing I've learned, it's like my business has massively changed over the last six years that I've been running it. And of course, at the core, it's still the same, but you need to adapt. You need to listen to what is out there, see what works. And what doesn't work? And my idea is like, I remember writing my business plan in the very yeah, first week of me taking over the design trust in the week that I turned 40, which was quite interesting. And six months later, I looked at my business plan and I thought, oh gosh, if anybody ever sees this, I got it so wrong. Yeah. If anybody, <laughs> like I'm the queen of creative business planning. If anybody ever sees this, they will never take me on. But actually it was really so useful. And I still do that. I still look at, okay, where do I want to be in five years from now, in 10 years from now? Visualize that, create Pinterest boards or do mood boards or indeed create, uh, yeah, with sticky tape. What is the kind of business that you want to run? What are the kind of people you want to work with in the broader sense of the world? If you have that and then come up with indeed proactive ways and, and, um, indeed, like what you need to do is is you need to sell. Yeah, you need to sell your idea, your products, because without that, yeah, it's very nice to get loads of people following you on Instagram or loads of yeah uh, likes and things like that. But you need to reach out to those people, make them more real, because again, on social media, like a thousand followers, that becomes quite vague. Really look at who your clients are, who your audience are, and how to connect with those people. I'd like to pick up on a beautiful metaphor you used a couple of minutes ago mm. where you said it's like a dance. Sometimes mm. you need to lead, sometimes you need to follow. Mm. And I think that, I mean, just listening to what you've said, it applies to clients. Mm. It applies to goal setting. Mm. It applies to the principle of keeping going. Mm being dogged versus listening to feedback. Mm. Could you say a bit more about how we can cultivate that skill of knowing when to lead and when to follow in our business? Oh, I, I think you learn from mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible dancer, by the way. Yeah? So like I'm very good at 1980s music and stuff like that and doing a silly dance. And I think it's also the element of having a structure, but also being playful. Yeah, I think that's important within yeah. the dance. But it's it's like, 
you learn by bumping into people. Right, and stepping uh, yeah. on toes. And <laughs> stepping on toes. And like when I came, yeah, as a 26-year-old to London, yeah, literally from the boat, my English wasn't very good. I made terrible mistakes, yeah, and like and my English was terrible. But it's from those mistakes. Like if I look at my first blog post now, I, I it's cringeworthy, yeah. And but again, it's like by keep going, keep developing, keep learning, and keep yeah. trying. And it's about doing stuff because I think if you do stuff, that is what gives you confidence because and because it gives you then the feedback of working with real people. In your head, everything is either really beautiful or really, yeah, terribly bad. But it is by doing stuff. And I think that is for me, again, with the dance, it's like you need to listen but if you try and anticipate and create the design that is going to yeah be the most successful thing ever forget it yeah like you cannot anticipate what clients want very often clients don't even know what they want so at the same time you you need to lead too you need to see the world through your eyes and and look at what you want to create here in a product in a business and you know as you talk about this process of making mistakes. I, I'm just thinking of writing poetry. You mm. know, my first draft is very often excruciating mm. because I know it's crap or I know mm. a lot of it is crap. Mm. But if I don't put that down, if I don't mm. make those messy marks and mistakes on the mm. paper, I will never work it up into mm. something that's good. Mm. And what you're saying is your business is mm. like that. You make yeah. the mistakes, yeah. experiment, and then learn from them and refine it and revise yeah. it until yeah. you've got yeah. Something that's ready for prime time. And that's that's back to prototyping. Mm. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, very often what I see where I think people go wrong in a way is create products all the way, yeah, and spend a lot of time and money and energy into it. Instead, come up with like three or four ideas or 50 ideas. I very often, like even within a business, for example, I say to people, give me three routes to where you want to get to with your business. It's not just one route. What are three places you could be in five years from now? And what would then what would you do need to do or learn to get there? And it's it's the same like that. It's like prototype. Like I would say nearly half of the stuff that I get out there fails. But the thing is I've learned not to see that as a failure anymore. It's like it's an experiment. Have a go, try it. And and the thing is, like, I thought in the beginning that I could completely anticipate how people were going to respond. And actually now, although I know a lot more, at the same time, you realize that you know a lot less or that there's still so yeah. much to learn. And for me, it's constantly about experimenting and learning. And And if you approach it like that, play a bit more. Don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I think that's that is something definitely that I had to learn over the years. You don't always have the answer. Go out there and see what's, what sticks, see what works. And by actually working with your audience and your clients, they, they give you the best ideas. To me, my clients are my, my best resource in many ways. I learn so much more from my clients in many ways than my clients learn from me. And I think that's, that's very refreshing. And then it's not, yeah, like kind of heavy and dutiful, but you actually are doing this, yeah, this dance of creation together. Lovely. <laughs> and I think this is a nice point for us to move from talking and listening into action. Mm. Because I know you have a, a lovely challenge 
for people to take on, the creative challenge. Mm. So what is it that you're going to invite people to do, Patricia? I'm indeed all for action, yeah, because that is where you learn um, and, and that's what happens. One of the exercises that I do with my clients, and I think that can be really relevant um, for, for you guys here, is who are the 50 people that need to know of you and your work? In the whole world, who are yeah, your audiences, uh, gallery owners, journalists, stylists, curators, whatever? Who are the 50 people in the world that really need to know of you and your work? Write down a list. Or maybe, even better, yeah, create a secret Pinterest board or something like that where you put those 50 names or 50 portraits on. And then the next step can be really interesting is actually looking at that list and think, why, what connects those people? Why am I so interested in working with them? Why do I want to connect with them? You can get some great values out of that, I think. And that, from that point of view, it can be really interesting and very reflective of what you're really about. But then indeed, yeah, the real exercise is look at those 50 people, brands, organizations, yeah, things like that. And actually look at how are you going to connect with them? Is that about sending them an email? Is it about sending something in a post? Is that about asking a question on a forum or uh, when they are doing an interview or a conference or anything like that? So really connect with those people. Do a couple of low-hanging fruits, so to speak, so people that are quite easy to connect with, but also have got some big, juicy names in there where maybe it will take you five or ten years before you actually can really connect with them. But get started now with that. And, and that will really help you to... That's, that, to me, is really... It's, that's about marketing. It's about building those relationships. And really, it's about you creating your market and connecting with the people that matter. And again, for me, it's also very much at the heart of what marketing is about. And, and very interestingly, it's not necessarily about using the latest uh, social media, but actually it's about that human connection. Why would they be interested in you? And be creative with that. Send something interesting in a post. Worked 25 years ago. These days, it works even better because you will stand out. And that makes that connection with people. That's what marketing really is about. Great. I really think this is such a powerful exercise and it will work for any creative mm. industry or any mm. art form. There mm. will be that list of 50 people. And if you really do make it your mission to connect with them, mm. that puts you an awful long way on the road to success. Absolutely. And it's rich, <laughs> yeah, in very <laughs> different ways. And it's those 50 people are kind of a, a reflection of you. Yeah, and I think that's, again, really interesting. It's, it's like being in a kaleidoscope, see it like that, and really reach out. It will really help you to find out more about yourself, but also, indeed, like what we need to do is go out there and seek our audience, seek our people that we want to work with. Great. So where can people go and seek out you, Patricia, and the Design Trust? So I am on thedesigntrust.co.uk. That's where you find a lot of information indeed about um, our uh, business school and our business club. And it's open to anybody across uh, the world who are basically designers and makers. 
Um, and that goes from indeed people who are selling at Etsy all the way to people doing very high-end stuff to indeed people working giftware, homewares, but basically it's very much about creative products indeed. Um, and then also I, I've written a book uh, called Dream Plan Do, so people can find uh, me on there as well. That's dream-plan-do.com. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Patricia. As always, you know, I've really learned a lot from spending time with you. And I know people listening to this will have, have, have got a lot too. So thanks so much. You're very welcome. It's always great to talk to you, Mark. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative hosted by me, Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned, as well as all the archived episodes at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. That brings us to the end of Season 2, but Season 3 will be along later in 2018. To hear the new season as soon as it's released, make sure you're subscribed in iTunes. As always... I'm grateful for your reviews and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative interested in getting my help as a private coaching client, you can learn about how I help my clients at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.